0: On today's episode, I'll be discussing two cuts of the same movie that couldn't feel more different, starting with Justice League from 2017 and Zack Snyder's Justice League from 2021. Hey everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, like I said, I'm going to talk about these two different cuts of Justice League and I'm very excited, but I wanted to first give you a brief backstory on this whole movie and how everything kind of came to be with it. So midway through production on the movie... Original director Zack Snyder's daughter committed suicide, so Zack Snyder and his wife Deborah Snyder left the movie to be with their family. Joss Whedon was brought in by Warner Brothers to complete the film. Whedon was known for his writing talents and having directed the first two Avengers movies for Marvel Studios. Whedon essentially did rewrites and reshoots and shoehorned in his Marvel sensibilities and humor humor into Justice League, resulting in what many would consider to be off-brand for the average DC film. Warner Brothers then proceeded to release the Whedon cut of the film theatrically in 2017 to very mixed reviews with criticisms over the thin plot, a poorly developed villain, pacing, and CGI being targeted most notably. The original release was met with very underwhelming box office numbers that I'll get into specifics on toward the end of this episode, but essentially despite making over 600 million worldwide, it was still said to have lost Warner Brothers roughly 60 million. So fans began to clamor almost immediately for the director's cut after seeing the theatrical cut and they just wanted this director's cut to be released and they started trending this topic of release the Snyder Cut, and it gained a lot of traction on the web. Eventually, in May of 2020, it was announced that the Snyder Cut would be released in 2021, with all of the principal actors returning to shoot or reshoot additional footage. The director's cut of the film was seemingly praised more overwhelmingly by viewers and critics, despite having twice the runtime of the theatrical version. So that's basically, that sets the stage for this. You kind of understand, okay, so... The fans and critics hated the original release and didn't like it, and they knew that this cut had to be out there, or at least had the potential to exist, so they like really started fighting for it, and they really wanted it pretty fucking bad. So I guess I'll just dive into the movies. So Justice League and Zack Snyder's Justice League, so I'll be kind of doing them in tandem, going back and forth between the two of them. I apologize for the amount of times that I'll say the words theatrical or Snyder in this review, but honestly, it's the only way I could see to do it that made sense. The theatrical cut originally was released on November 17th, 2017. The Snyder Cut was released on March 18th, 2021, directed by Zack Snyder with backup director Joss Whedon, as I mentioned, on the theatrical cut. For the writer, we have Chris Terrio, and Joss Whedon was actually also credited on the theatrical release for doing rewrites and things like that. Terrio ultimately made comments stating a desire to have his name taken off the theatrical cut because he didn't feel like it was reflective of his writing, basically. For the producers, we have Charles Rovin, Deborah Snyder, John Berg, and Jeff Johns. For the score, we have composer Danny Elfman on the theatrical cut and Tom Holkenborg on the Snyder cut. For the cast, and I will be referring to these characters by their name and alter egos depending on the situation throughout the discussion of this movie, just so you know, if I talk about Bruce, it's usually because he's not Batman in that moment, and so it makes sense to me to call him Bruce, but I apologize if you're not like super familiar with the characters and... It maybe gets a little confusing. So first off, we have Ben Affleck, who plays Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Henry Cavill plays Clark Kent slash Superman. Gal Gadot plays Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman. Ezra Miller plays Barry Allen slash The Flash. Jason Momoa plays Arthur Curry slash Aquaman. Ray Fisher plays Victor Stone slash Cyborg. Amy Adams plays Lois Lane. Jeremy Irons plays Alfred Pennyworth, Diane Lane plays Martha Kent, and that is all I really cared to include in this. They were apparently supposed to have more bit appearances from major roles in different DCEU movies. They were supposed to come into the fold in this, and they just ended up not being able to do it. So, I mean, just so you know, there, there's quite the long cast list. So there are no significant casting notes on these movies as the major actors were already decided ahead of this movie. I mean, basically, they would have been talked about during the process of casting Batman v Superman, which I already did an episode on. So obviously, just check that one out if you haven't already, because it kind of would make more sense to do that for the plot synopsis. As a villain named Steppenwolf emerges to steal very powerful boxes to take over the earth, a team of superheroes comes together in hopes of stopping him. For the tagline is, you can't save the world alone. It, that was probably the most prominently used tagline in the film's marketing, but it also is completely fucking untrue based on what we see in other stories in the same universe, like, we see Wonder Woman save the world- we see Superman save the world. It's like, it's. I get what they're going for, but it's also kind of stupid. All right, guys, let's just dive right into these fucking plots. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to go through and talk about the theatrical cut first. And the only thing I'll say is like, and I'll probably mention this later on, but there are going to be moments that are obviously in both movies. And generally speaking, I tried to make sure I pointed it out. If they were both happening, I tried to, like, comment on them, but at the same time, some of those things didn't really seem relevant in the original theatrical cut because it was just, as I was watching it, I couldn't fucking remember the Snyder cut well enough to remember what was and was not in the movie, you know? So this was really a fucking tough episode to make. Honestly, like, I just, I don't know. I mean, I I really struggled with it, but I'm hoping that it comes out good and, and you guys enjoy it and it's not too annoying to listen to me talk about it. But okay, so the theatrical cut. And boy, you know, as I start off this movie, DC really has their shit screwed up despite owning all of their characters. Like, they don't have the issues that Marvel has with not owning Spider-Man and previously not owning the X-Men or Fantastic Four or anything like that. But it's just, it's kind of funny to me because DC has done such a bad job. Like, Basically, they didn't even give everybody their own solo movies before making this Justice League movie because they were clearly too impatient. And it's like, yeah, but if you if you would have gotten the Aquaman movie, if you would have gotten a solo Flash movie or Cyborg movie, it would have been way fucking better. Like it would have just come together a lot more poetically, honestly. But I do love the DC logo sequence. It's always pretty fucking solid. It's like they show all of the heroes doing their thing, even Green Lantern, who they screwed up royally. It's pretty fucking solid. By the way, they absolutely must one day cast Idris Elba as Jon Stewart in a Green Lantern solo movie for the good of humanity, honestly. I think it'd be fucking amazing. He'd be a perfect Jon Stewart I would absolutely love it. So literally the first thing we actually see in this movie is Henry Cavill as Superman through vertically taken smartphone footage. He's talking to some kids and there's undeniable weirdness in his face due to the fact that they had to CGI out his Mission Impossible mustache. These little kids are asking him a bunch of questions and it ends with them asking him what the best thing about Earth is. And then it just cuts out and he he doesn't really... ...give the answer just then. So far, aside from the shitty CGI, it's been pretty okay at 1 minute and 48 seconds in. Then we see this man leaving the window at the roof of a building, and he's clearly robbing the place with a big Santa sack. He looks over and sees Batman perched across the way... And he initially pretends like he's going to drop his stuff and just walk away, but he pulls out a gun and starts shooting Batman. There's a big confrontation, and he shoots a hole in the water tower, and Batman wrangles the guy and has him suspended by a bat rope leaning over the edge of the building, and the thief pleads with him not to let him fall, and the guy asks what he wants from him, and Batman says, Fear, they can smell it. And the creature comes flying up to get the guy from below, So the guy was basically just being used as bait in this scenario. Batman pulls the guy back and dive grabs the human-sized wasp-looking creature, and it flies away with him as he wrestles with it. He finally takes it down to the rooftop and subdues it, but it ultimately self-destructs. The thief asks what it was, and Batman claims that it was a skeleton. Somehow the thief ascertains that this means that there's an alien army which is some pretty fucking ridiculously conveyed exposition considering this guy couldn't possibly assume anything like that based on what he's seen. Then Alfred drops the time to assemble the Justice League comment and we're off. I should also mention that everything is significantly less dark on screen and in tone already than what we would usually get in DC or Zack Snyder movies and it just feels fucking weird, honestly. Like, seeing these characters... In this not-dark world is just bizarre. So as Batman's walking away, the thief says, It's because they know he's dead, right? Superman, he's gone. Where's that leave us? And Batman hears that and just jumps off the rooftop without saying anything. And then we get the Justice League title card. And there's some shitty sad song playing while they do a little Superman is dead and people are paying their respects montage. I just can't stress enough how fucking different this movie feels on all levels. It's just completely ridiculous. So we see some crimes happening, and I guess we're to assume that there's a lot more of them going on without Superman being around. Then some robbers led by Roose Bolton from Game of Thrones breaks into this bank building, and they have guns, and they're taking hostages and whatnot. Everyone's cowering in fear, waiting for someone to save them. And Wonder Woman is waiting on a statue outside, and she comes in and lassos one guy. And I just feel insulted that she has to explain to the audience how the lasso works, like why. I mean, I guess she should have to tell the guy that the lasso compels him to tell the truth, but it's just kind of dumb to me. The guy tells Wonder Woman that they're terrorists and that she's too late and that four city blocks are set to blow. Wonder Woman comes and fucks the main bad guys up pretty bad, and she's doing a lot of dodging and deflecting of gunfire, and it's that on-again, off-again style slow motion that was made popular in the movie 300. I don't know what movie was the first to do it, but I just remember it from that movie a lot. So Bruce comes to a town on the water seeking to find Aquaman, but no one wants to help him out because Aquaman is pretty good to them, basically. Aquaman is doing the talking without really admitting who he actually is, and Bruce offers $25,000 to be able to talk to him right then and there. It's finally revealed that the man is Aquaman. Gasp. But, like, Bruce has seen Aquaman. He was in that fucking stupid video from Batman vs. Superman. He knows that that that's who he is. When he sees Jason Momoa, he should immediately be like, ''Oh, yeah, that's you.'' So him and Bruce go out and they chat a little bit, and Bruce is trying to convince him that he can further serve the people he's helping by joining up with him. Aquaman gets shirtless and dives into the water, but not before saying, You're out of your mind, Bruce Wayne. Back with Alfred, Bruce is trying to figure out how to get the team on his side, and Alfred suggests Bruce call Diana directly. Then, of course, Alfred says the line, One misses the days of exploding wind-up penguins. But here's the thing. There were penguins equipped with missiles on their backs in Batman Returns. There were wind-up penguins in Superman 3 that caught on fire by accident. But I get it, fan service is super important, but it's super hard to get something like that right. Barry Allen is going to see his dad in prison, and the guy behind him kind of rushes him. So Barry quickly draws a little mustache and glasses on the guy And finishes filling out the form, but he does it really quickly, so you can't tell that he does it. But it does seem like the guy would kind of notice that something was being drawn on his face. Like, you would have to feel the impact of that marker touching your face, even if it was really fast. So Barry and his dad talk about how Barry is working three dead-end jobs... And he says that they botched the uh, investigation of his father. And his father ultimately tells him to stop wasting his time coming to see him. And Barry knows that it's totally not a waste of time and it's very important. So they're doing the fucking touching hands on each side of the glass partition thing. And it that's happening the whole fucking time this is going on with their conversation. And I feel like that's just a little fucking overdone. So his dad just doesn't want him to piss away his entire life hung up on his dad's case and he he thinks he should be spending his time on better things. Victor Stone's dad, Silas, is leaving work super late and he talks with a janitor on his way out. At home, Victor and his dad talk about how shitty life is now that Victor's a cyborg. He's very unpleasant toward his father for what his father presumably did to him. And the backstory of what happened isn't entirely clear, and it will take until the Snyder Cut to actually fully understand and comprehend what's going on there. I mean, they really cut the shit out of the cyborg storyline in this movie. Then, with the Amazons, they're looking at this box that's becoming increasingly unstable, and then all of a sudden, it basically breaks open, and someone named Steppenwolf comes and attacks with the intent to take the box The queen lassos the box and gets away, and we get a chase across the valley. It's pretty intense, but ultimately Steppenwolf gets the box and gets away. The backup arrives just a little fucking too late, honestly. Like, this whole fucking army comes to attack Steppenwolf, and it's just like he's already fucking gone. So the queen says they have to light the ancient warning fire, and this chick says, in the flattest way possible... "'The fire has not burned for 5,000 years. Men won't know what it means.'" But the Queen points out that Wonder Woman will know what it's all about, though. I can't help but feel like all of the stakes in this movie feel really forced. Like, we haven't seen enough of any of these characters to do anything with, and I have no fear of Steppenwolf whatsoever. I don't have any particular investments in any of the lesser heroes that hadn't gotten their own movies yet. So Diana sees the fire on TV and knows shit's about to go down. We see Lois and Martha sit down for coffee at what I guess is the Daily Planet and the brightest break room ever. And this shit is all shot like this. Like honestly, every fucking scene, it's like so bright and full of wonder. And it's not like dark and shit like you're used to seeing. So Lois claims that she's good with doing puff pieces for the Daily Planet right now because she's still grieving, I suppose. Martha makes a comment about Clark having said that Lois was the thirstiest woman he'd ever met and then remembers that he said hungriest. And Lois gives her this look when she's saying thirstiest, like, what the fuck are you talking about? And, I mean, it's like, haha, oh, I get it, thirsty, like, she wants some fucking D. Yep, okay, that's hilarious, Joss Whedon, well done. Back with Cyborg, he's testing out his powers, and he's still not fully clear on what all he's capable of at this point. Bruce tells Alfred to try and integrate the siren noise into the bat suit that made the alien go crazy at the beginning and die. By the way, those alien things that look like human wasps, they're actually called parademons, just going forward, that's what I'll be calling them. Diana stops by and they talk about the attack that's bearing down on them, and yup, this movie is just barely fucking keeping my attention. We get a little featurette on who Steppenwolf is, as narrated by Diana. They're explaining these boxes, like the one that Steppenwolf just took from the Amazons that we saw, and they're kind of explaining how they work, but they're not really clear on exactly how they work. They apparently did battle to protect these boxes way back when, too, And we even get a little sneak peek of a Green Lantern Corps member when they do the flashback, and it's pretty fucking sweet. So they split them up and gave one box to the Amazons, one to the Atlanteans, and another to the men, who I guess just secretly buried it in the woods somewhere. That's it. That's all they did. Bruce has been listening to Diana go on about this stuff with the boxes, and they're walking by a lake. Bruce gets a lead on the location of Barry Allen, so he leaves Victor Stone to Diana for her to recruit. We see Victor has been watching them, and I'm not buying that Bruce didn't pick up on that, but okay. I mean, what Batman lacks in powers, he makes up for in intelligence, awareness, planning, detective work, gadgets, and coolness, among other things. Barry comes home to find Bruce waiting for him there and he introduces himself. Ezra Miller does have a good sense of humor, to be honest, but he's too over the top with this character. So Bruce throws a batarang at Barry, and naturally everything slows down, and Barry realizes who Bruce is, and he catches the batarang, and it kind of, like, gets his attention. Barry agrees to join the league almost immediately because he says he needs friends. Barry does not stop talking from the very moment he meets Bruce, and That's just fairly on brand for the character, so I guess well done on that. They go out to Bruce's car, and Barry is talking about brunch or whatever, and I really just don't care at all. Like, he's just rambling, and it's fucking stupid. So Bruce has the sweetest fucking non-Batmobile car in this movie. I swear to God, it's definitely one of those cars that is really only made for show and probably wouldn't function well to drive on real roads. But it's got those flip-up DeLorean doors, and I fucking love it. So Barry says... What's your superpower again? And Bruce just says, I'm rich. And they drive off. Diana is with Alfred and her computer gets taken over by Cyborg and he's communicating by putting things up on the screen. And she wants to meet with him face to face, but he's worried about trusting her. And she just says that if she wanted to attack him, that she would have done it by the lake. I like how much we get of Alfred in this. Like, This is one of the few things I have no complaints about at all, honestly. So Diana meets Cyborg, and he gets pretty fucking pissy when she says that he has gifts because he obviously doesn't see them like that. Oh no, we've got a ship in dangerous waters, and Aquaman comes to their rescue. He goes and drops this guy off that he saves on the boat, and he just throws him in this fucking bar and takes a bottle of liquor with him, and it's like, okay, that's what we're doing here? But they play icky thump by the white stripes, and it sounds patently absurd in this movie. And it doesn't really help that that's kind of making the movie feel tonally all over the place, honestly. So there's a fight between Steppenwolf and Mira, and Aquaman comes to help. Aquaman is fighting him, grabbing his horns and shit. Clearly, Steppenwolf is after the Atlanteans' box. Mira talks to Aquaman about how his mother left him when he was young to save his life, despite what he actually believes. Everything just kind of feels all over the fucking place in this movie, like, they're trying to work so much into the story in this short little flick, but they're also not doing a good job of actual storytelling because of it. We see the Parademons and Steppenwolf at this silo thing in the middle of nowhere, And Steppenwolf says that they're doing what they're doing for Darkseid, which is a major DC villain, especially for Superman, honestly, he's a big fucking villain. So back at Cyborg's apartment, his dad Silas gets attacked by one of the parademons and ultimately is kidnapped and taken away. Barry meets Diana, and it's reasonably awkward because she is a fucking smoke show, to be completely honest. So they go to meet with Commissioner Gordon, who is flashing the bat signal, and it's Batman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash on the roof of police headquarters, and then Cyborg shows up. I mean, Cyborg is super cold and distant, but how could Diana's hot face not warm your fucking robotic heart to its core? Then, as they're talking to Gordon, they have a revelation about where they're supposed to be looking, and when Gordon looks away, all but The Flash vanish. And then the Flash just stands there for a little bit, awkwardly talking. Then he finally runs away, and it's like, it's not really particularly funny. You know what I mean? I don't, it's, I'm not laughing. They arrive at this underwater tunnel at this island, Striker's Island to be specific. Steppenwolf has all of these hostages, and he's grilling them all for information on the mother box. Cyborg Zed Silas is here. I guess that's kind of important. Barry immediately starts to freak out about being afraid of bugs and guns and says that he's really not ready to do battle. I don't ever remember this side of Flash, like him bitching out, but I'm also not super familiar with the character's background at all. Batman tells Flash to save one person if he can do anything at all, just save one person, and that's what he tasks him with doing. So I gotta say, Steppenwolf is just a fucking shit character design in this cut. In all honesty, I mean, it's not even very good in the Snyder Cut, but at least it is better, I would say. He talks to Cyborg, and honestly, it's pretty rough getting on board with his villainy. Like, he's not scary, he doesn't strike fear. At best, he should have only been Darkseid's number two in command and not get a lot of lines, but... Holy shit, Steppenwolf is actually Mance Raider from Game of Thrones, I think. What a fucking revelation for me. So the fight is fucking on, with Flash trying to save hostages and everyone else doing battle. Batman is, of course, going fucking ape shit on the parademons, but they're seemingly stronger than him, so he's struggling. For once, I'd actually like to see Batman go into full-on planning mode... In a movie where he's featured, it would just be really cool to see how he methodically does that. Because that's what most Batman fans say, is that with enough prep time, Batman can defeat anyone or anything. I mean, we've seen him do detective work some, but actual planning, not so much. It always seems like he's frequently just coming in, shooting from the hip, and it's annoying to me because that's not Batman at all. Obviously, he can't always lay out a plan first, I recognize that, but... I mean, I get it, and it's like, fuck, I still don't like it. Batman asks Alfred for something called the Nightcrawler, and this goofy walking robot vehicle that looks like it belongs in Star Wars comes, but it's controlled by Alfred. And I do notice what I saw in the trivia section about how Danny Elfman brought his Batman theme into this movie for a little bit, and it's kind of cool, to be honest, but I'm a sucker for that. Batman says, sorry, guys, I didn't bring a sword, and starts shooting with the Nightcrawler, And it's important to note that Batman can totally kill in the Snyderverse, especially when it's non-human beings. So there's a lot of shit that happens here. Flash kind of helps a bit. Cyborg takes control of the Nightcrawler. A hole forms in the tunnel and it starts filling with water, but Aquaman comes to save the day, kind of. And I actually forgot that Cyborg can fly because this movie failed to establish that even a little bit. So Aquaman tells them that Steppenwolf has the second of the three boxes. Cyborg comes back with the third box and they do a lot of talking about this box and Bruce basically pitches the idea of bringing Superman back to life. Affleck looks fucking stiff as shit in this dress suit that he's wearing, though. It does not look good on him. Diana tells Bruce to move on, and he asks her if Steve Trevor told her that. She pushes Bruce hard enough to knock him back several feet, but it's just kind of like, what's going on? Like, what is this? Are we going to fucking have them fight with each other? Is that what's going to happen? You see, Steve Trevor is actually Diana's dead boyfriend from her first solo movie, And he's also kind of in her second movie, but that movie was a stupid piece of shit and I might just cover it down the road, I'm not sure. They're debating about the rights and wrongs of bringing Superman back. Later on, Alfred is also discussing the potential problems of bringing Superman back and let's just say there's not a unanimous agreement on whether it's okay. The Flash and Cyborg are digging up Clark's grave and The Flash says that he's not doing it super fast because it seems disrespectful to him and it's like, You're digging up a fucking grave, dude. Come the fuck on. Get the hell out of here. There's uncomfortable tension between Batman and Wonder Woman because of all the shit Bruce has said. So they basically set up a super elaborate way to bring Superman back to life that, of course, sort of requires all of the heroes to work together because reasons and stuff. But actually, post-movie edit, only Cyborg and Flash really fucking do anything here. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman just do nothing, honestly. The Flash has to create an electrical charge to awaken the box as it hits the water, so he does that, and Superman wakes up and goes back to his Superman false god Park statue from Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and that felt like a lot of fucking words to explain a location, but here we are. So this movie is so much lighter, it's ridiculous. It bothers me quite a bit. So Superman is clearly not well and is ready to fuck someone up and the Justice League is just looking at him in the park. Aquaman senses something's wrong and so his adrenaline spikes and Cyborg's defense system reacts automatically and he can't control it. Superman clenches his fist and Cyborg shoots at him and Superman uses his heat vision on Cyborg and then Wonder Woman and Aquaman try to restrain him and Superman gets caught in Wonder Woman's lasso, but it doesn't work on him. So Superman is stopping Cyborg, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman at the same time. And the Flash is trying to passively sneak up on him. But Superman can see the Flash moving as fast as he is. Like Superman has the speed to recognize that he's there. They haven't shown Batman in a minute at this point, And I guess he's just in the Batmobile playing video games or something. Superman fucks Flash up, and then Batman walks up, and Superman sees him and says, I know you, and goes toward him. My goodness, does he actually say, I know you, out loud? Must be. Wow, I wrote it in my notes. So he takes down Wonder Woman again, and then goes for Batman, and he straight up holds him up and asks him, do you bleed, like Batman asked him in BVS. But Batman brought the secret weapon, Lois Lane, and all of Superman's aggression seemingly just melts away, it's just no big deal. But I don't really understand this perception that Batman caused Superman's death, or, like, why Superman's super angry at him. I mean, sure, they fought, and Batman almost killed him, but ultimately they became allies, so what's the deal, theatrical cut? What's your fucking problem? Oh, apparently this is still a thing in the Snyder Cut in a post-movie edit. I guess that's, a. Uh, Yeah, that's great. Okay, so we're just never going to know the answer on that one. So Steppenwolf just swoops in and steals the last box while everyone was fucking around, and Lois and Clark go out to the farmhouse. Aquaman is a little more than frustrated by the failure of the team, and everyone's just kind of regrouping at what I guess is the Batcave, but that's not entirely clear because the DCEU Batcave is not well established. Bruce is bruised and battered from his tangle with Superman, and Diana is kind of helping him cope. They have a bit of a heartfelt talk, and she kind of explains where she's coming from. Affleck is clearly doing this lower register thing with his voice, and it's fucking weird. God, Cavill's mouth is at maximum weirdness in this moment with Lois out in a cornfield. I've seen YouTube videos on why they struggled so hard CGIing out his mustache in this, but I just can't forgive the fact that they thought this movie was okay to put out with the way it looks. Like, I'm usually pretty fucking forgiving with CGI, but this just looks undeniably awful. There's just something weird about it. So Martha comes out to see Clark all alive and whatnot, and she's very excited. Steppenwolf is bonding all of the boxes, and it shows how he creates this dome over an abandoned city. And that CGI in that moment, man, it was fucking bad. They're searching for a place that's out of reach of satellites and cell phones, and that's where Steppenwolf is supposed to be, I guess. So they go up to get in their ship to fly to wherever they're going, and there's this super weird scene here on the ship, like, they're all talking and everyone's standing except Aquaman, who is sitting, and he's on the front of the Batmobile, and Aquaman all of a sudden just goes off, speaking his mind and telling everybody how it is and whatnot. He calls Wonder Woman gorgeous, and it's all a bit odd and creepy and uncomfortable, Then it's smugly revealed that he's sitting on the lasso of truth and it's like, come the fuck on, movie. This rope literally fucking glows and even if it didn't, You're going to sit on some old rope like you wouldn't be uncomfortable or you wouldn't notice it at all. Get the fuck out of here. I do like the Flash's suit better in this than the super dark one from the TV series. And then I noticed that there's like less than a half hour left. And I love that this movie tried to make it some big surprise that Superman was going to show up in the end to save the day. Like... I would have just loved if they kept showing Clark hanging out in this field with Martha and Lois and it never occurred to him to actually help them. They get to where Steppenwolf is and Batman's flying around in the jet and he's got his little goggles on and they don't look bad, I guess. I mean, they're kind of cool. But now he's in the Batmobile and the parademons are all attacking his shit and Batman actually says, son of a bitch, because that's totally in character for him. Filmmakers, when in doubt, with Batman. Use silence. Honestly, that's all I can say. The Justice League comes back to help Batman because I guess Wonder Woman insisted. Everyone's fighting parademons and whatnot, and Batman ejects from the Batmobile, and gosh, they're really working together, guys. I can't believe it. This movie has them acting like they're such long-lost buddies, like they've known each other forever or something. Steppenwolf is such a fucking generic villain, and it's just Fucking everything about this guy is just cookie cutter supervillain nonsense. They're fighting with him, and he's clearly stronger than they are, and things are looking dire. And Steppenwolf rips off Cyborg's leg, and you wouldn't believe who shows up to save the day. Superman is very smugly fighting Steppenwolf like it's fucking nothing. And there's this moment where Batman tells Superman what needs to be done to remedy the situation they're in. And Superman says, well, you didn't bring me back because you like me. And Batman stammers out this weird line where he's like, I don't not like you or something like that. And it's like, The worst fucking moment. I hate it more than anything else in this movie, and that's really saying something. Batman, as a character, even in his least favorable iterations, never stammers or gets awkward at all. Name one instance of this happening, and I'll tell you why it's a trash interpretation of the character. Superman goes off to save the civilians who are nearby because I guess he has to be the one to do that. The Flash is out running, and Superman flies up beside him and says, Slowpoke, and honestly, that is the kind of humor that I would expect in a Justice League interaction. Superman comes back and beats Steppenwolf up some more, and then him and Cyborg have to work together to separate the boxes, and it seems like everything's gonna be all good, but Steppenwolf is still alive, so they have to defeat him. The Parademon smells Steppenwolf's fear in this moment, and they come to tear him apart. Everyone's all fucking smiley after their victory, and this may seem like a fucking downer, but it's just, it makes me fucking sick. I can't fucking stand it. Back at the Kent farm, they're moving shit into the house, and Clark is like, how did you get the house back from the bank? And Bruce says, I bought the bank. Barry goes to see his dad to show him that he got a job in a crime lab with a recommendation from a friend, but, like, which friend knew somebody in Central City to give him a recommendation? Like, what is that all about? Bruce is with Alfred and Diana, and what I assume is what's left of Wayne Manor, or maybe it's just an old mansion, I'm really not sure, but I guess it's going to become the Hall of Justice from how they're talking. Cyborg is working on his robot parts with his dad, and he seemingly has some control over them. Cyborg's story changes drastically between the two cuts of this film, as I mentioned. I don't know who is doing voiceover in this sequence, but it sounds like maybe it's Lois Lane, like Amy Adams is doing it, but it doesn't exactly sound like her, I don't think. It's honestly not a bad end sequence, and it closes out with Clark putting his glasses away and opening his shirt to reveal his Superman suit underneath, and he flies away to presumably save someone. It's a little out in the open for my blood. Like, anyone could have just fucking seen what he was just doing, but okay. But what is bad is that we get more CGI face in the mid-credits scene where the Flash and Superman are gonna race each other. I've always heard that Superman is actually faster than the Flash, which is not good news for Flash, because... Speed is kind of his thing, you know? He should be able to be faster, I would think. But Superman doesn't create an electrical charge, so I guess that's different. Then we get our post-credits scene. These guards come to see Lex Luthor in prison, but it's an imposter. Then we get Slade Wilson, who I believe is Deathstroke, coming to the real Lex's yacht. Lex tells Wilson about the formation of the Justice League and proposes that they form a league of their own. And that will be how I segue into my next movie, A League of Their Own, released on July 1st, 1992, directed by Penny Marshall and starring Tom Hanks. Just kidding, but seriously, the Justice League theatrical cut is over and now I'm excited to move on to a movie I actually do enjoy because I I couldn't say that I truly enjoyed the theatrical cut at all. So now we have Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I'm going to lead right off by saying my least favorite part of this movie is the whole 4-3 aspect ratio thing. It just bugs the crap out of me. So the supposed reason for the choice to present it like this that I've always heard was that it was so the characters could appear larger in the smaller frame, but suffice it to say I'm not buying that and I don't love it. But this intro is eerie as fuck with the music and everything. It's really too bad they fucked up Green Lantern so bad because I would have loved Jon Stewart or Hal Jordan in this. Sorry, I'm gonna get geeked during this one, guys. That's just inevitable. And it's already darker. Imagine that. I can't fucking believe it. So, we're watching the events of Superman dying in Batman v Superman and kind of seeing Lois, Wonder Woman, and Batman react to what's happening. Then we have Cyborg, who plays a much bigger part in this go-round, as I mentioned. Lex is in the pool, where he created Doomsday, and he looks up to see the three boxes. And wait, I see in the credits that Willem Dafoe is here, and I had forgotten that he's in the fucking Aquaman movie, and he's, like, an important character in it. So we see Mira underwater looking at her box, and then we go to the box with the Amazons. Everyone's hearing Superman cry out across the world, And it's gotta just be like metahumans that can hear him because it seems like he'd be heard by fucking everybody. The Amazon box shakes and cracks and one warrior approaches it cautiously and then they call to notify the queen of what's going on. Then we head to a desolate snowscape. I believe this might be where Bruce is going to find Aquaman. Yes, it is. Okay, so... We see someone get off of a horse after riding in the frigid mountains and it's Bruce at this sad little village. It comes up and says, part one, don't count on it, Batman. And I got to say, it's fucking on. I mean, it's fucking happening. So these men are looking at Bruce's business card and the guy you can't initially see turns out to be Aquaman. And I don't get it. Aquaman having these fucking crazy light green eyes. Is that like a thing in the comics or was that a choice they made for these movies? Bruce asks him about this Aquaman that comes on the King's Tide and helps out the village. Bruce explains about the impending danger and how he's trying to assemble a team, and he's quite persistent about speaking with Aquaman and he finally talks to him. Aquaman is not on board with teaming up at all, and he just kind of vanishes into the ocean while these creepy female villagers sing some weird fucking song. That was definitely not in a theatrical cut. Cut to Martha Kent at Clark's grave, and she gets into a truck hauling a U-Haul trailer, and she drives off. We see her house with a for sale sign in the front yard, and it actually says foreclosure on the top, where you might put a phone number or a sold sign, and I didn't realize that was a thing at all, but now that I'm thinking about it, I might have seen that before. Alfred greets Bruce at the airport, and Alfred jokes that maybe a guy who broods in a cave for a living shouldn't be a recruiter. Lois is leaving a cafe in the rain and a weird song is playing and there's just way too fucking much slow motion in this movie. I I mean, it happens throughout, but this is the most egregious where it's like, it's just Lois setting down a coffee cup and it's in slow-mo and it's like, don't fucking overdo it. She goes and visits Superman's memorial at the park where the false god statue used to be. And then we get the beginning of the bank robbery that we saw in the theatrical cut And it seems like this time around, it's much more stylistically done as Roos Bolton comes and instructs his men to line up the hostages by the wall. Roos Bolton makes a call saying that they'll be making a statement shortly and threatens to kill children if any movement happens. The sharpshooters have their hands tied because of the kids, so they can't actually take anybody out. Then we see Wonder Woman on a statue looking at what's happening and Wonder Woman manages to lasso this guy and the guy informs her that they're terrorists and they're just stalling the cops and they've already rigged four city blocks to blow. Wonder Woman breaks into the room where the heads of the group are and I don't really care what anybody says. I fucking love the Wonder Woman theme. I think it sounds awesome. Wonder Woman throws the bomb into the air outside and Roose Bolton pulls his gun on the hostages. And there's a pretty exciting sequence where Roos is actually firing an automatic weapon at the hostages, and Wonder Woman is blocking all of the shots, or at least getting people out of the way of them. Roos goes to reload, and Wonder Woman hits him with a double wristband shockwave thing, and the front of the building explodes out onto the street. Anywho, Wonder Woman is not happy that she had to actually kill that guy. A little girl asks if she can be like her one day, and Wonder Woman says she can be anything she wants to. With the Amazons, the queen comes to see the cracked box, and they have no idea what the deal is with it, and then suddenly the box freaks right the fuck out, and it sends a shockwave out that knocks everyone in the temple down, And then these wasp dudes that I was told are called parademons start coming out of a portal around the box. Steppenwolf appears, and this isn't really saying much, but he looks way better than the theatrical cut. Steppenwolf says that he will bathe in the fear of the Amazons, and they all yell out that they have no fear and start shooting arrows, and all the parademons start attacking. And this is actually a pretty solid fight sequence. The queen seemingly flees with the magic box, and I'm not gonna lie... Connie Nielsen, I never really thought this before, but she's not bad looking. She's actually pretty good looking. So there's a rush for her to get out, and they're closing these giant stone doors in the tunnel she's leaving through, and she, of course, just barely makes it. Wouldn't it be neat if she had a vehicle that wasn't her own feet or a horse? Like, maybe she could just jump in a Prius and zip away. Like, she could outrun these guys if she had a motor vehicle, but she fucking doesn't. So she gives the box to an Amazon on horseback and tells her to protect the box with her life. Then the parademons break free of the temple, and so does Steppenwolf, and they manage to lasso Steppenwolf for a bit, but he's much too powerful. And if they only had real weapons, imagine how unstoppable a force the Amazons would actually be. I'm sure this idea has been brought up already, but I'm thinking one of the real reasons Zack Snyder did this release in 4-3 aspect ratio is that it required a lot less CGI. Like, think about it. If you render the special effects for 16 by 9 you're ultimately doing 25% more work, and he had to shoot and post-produce this movie in like a year. There's a real hot potato game still going on with the magic box, and... They think that they've got it, and of course, Steppenwolf stops them, and the queen tries to shoot an arrow at him, but he's not having it. Then an army comes, just a little too late to save the day, and the baddies are gone to make the world a worse place than it already is. They decide to light their temple fire so Diana will know the dire situation they're in. Part 2 The Age of Heroes. I'm surprised I don't have more notes at 37 minutes in, but whatever. Now we're seeing Steppenwolf arrive at this abandoned city and get the ball rolling on his insidious plot, but they have to get the other two boxes, of course. Steppenwolf is saying he hopes this will make him see his worth again, and I'm guessing here at this point, because I don't really remember, but I think the him in that sentence is Darkseid. So Bruce asks Alfred if he's got any leads on Barry Allen, and Alfred's just like, uh, possibly, and this kind of frustrates Bruce. They argue about the urgency of the situation, and it sounds like at some point Lex Luthor put out a warning about what was coming. So we go to Cyborg's dad, Silas Stone, leaving the lab at 1130 at night, and the janitor he exchanges words with hears a noise in the lab from the hall after Silas is gone. He goes in to see something missing, and there's a parademon, and I'm not 100% sure on the janitor's fate, but if he's not dead, then... What are we doing here? Honestly, what, what, why he's got to be dead. Okay. So the Amazons do their ceremony to light the temple on fire as a cry for help to Wonder Woman, but it just seems like there's not time for any of the trouble that they go to in order to just light a fire. Also, how is this their only way to communicate with her? Oh, that's right, they don't fucking use any modern technology at all. Then, when Diana is in art class, she sees a burning temple on the news and knows she must respond because an invasion is afoot. At the crime scene from the janitor and the Parademon, Silas is talking about what's missing, and they bring up that the robot stuff that presumably became Cyborg is missing, but Silas says that it wasn't lost in the break-in. So this investigator Silas is talking to, he walks with Silas and they talk to one of these techs in a hazmat suit and he shows them the sketch of a parademon and they don't know what to think. So Silas comes home to Cyborg and tells him what happened in the lab the night before and Diana goes to the now not burning temple and finds the arrow that lit it and lights a torch and goes down into the basement to look around. She sees the three boxes on the wall and recognizes what Steppenwolf's plan must be, and she also sees what looks like Darkseid in a drawing, and he looks pretty spooky. Out on the ocean, there's a fishing boat getting taken over by a storm and violent waves, and the men aboard are holding on for dear life, basically. Naturally, Aquaman comes to save them because that's kind of his whole deal. He brings the fisherman and throws him on a table at a bar and has a glass of whiskey and tells the bartender to tell the guy to respect the storm next time. But it's like, Arthur, the dude is sitting right there conscious. Tell him yourself. I can't help but feel like having the superhuman being who saved you relay that message directly would probably be more impactful. Another weird song is fucking playing while Aquaman walks back out to the ocean, but it's not too terrible. Jason Momoa's shirtless is truly a sight to behold, honestly. He goes underwater and we see all the aquatic life and whatnot, and he's looking at an underwater statue, and then is visited by creepy Willem Dafoe as Nudus Volco? Nuitus? Nuitus? I think it might be Nuitus. Nuitis warns Aquaman about what is coming and gives him his five-point trident, which really isn't a trident at all, if you think about it, because it's got five points and not three. He tells him to protect their box at all costs and disappears. Then, with Steppenwolf, he is visited by a hologram or something of what I assume is supposed to be one of Darkseid's people named Desaad. Steppenwolf pleads with Desad to let him speak to Darkseid, but he says that Steppenwolf betrayed Darkseid and says he still owes Darkseid 50 more worlds. I mean, it is good that they're developing Steppenwolf as a character more in this one, despite the fact that I don't fully understand the history there. We're not learning enough in these moments to get the complete picture, but at least we know some of the backstory now, whereas in the theatrical cut, we knew nothing about him at all. Diana comes to visit Bruce, and he makes a comment about paying millions of dollars for the building's security and she disabled it in minutes. Again, not really thinking Bruce's security would be that shitty because he's fucking Batman and he's Mr. I-have-a-plan-for-everything, but okay, Diana warns Bruce about the coming attack and how dark old powers want to come and conquer... She tells the story of olden times and how Darkseid attacked Earth's defenders, and it's all pretty interesting. Darkseid looks super fucking badass. He's gigantic and has his helmet complete with a chin piece, and, I mean, it's all CGI, but so is Thanos, so lay off. She goes through how the boxes work and whatnot, and we get some cool visuals with the battle breaking out. All of these three different defender groups come together to defend Earth in these olden times flashbacks. Some of the warriors legitimately fuck Darkseid up. They all seem to have powers, but I have no idea who these characters are meant to be, and that's a little annoying. So the three groups decide to enshrine and guard each of the three boxes separately, and I've gotta say, what the Atlanteans and the Amazons do with the boxes is pretty cool, but the regular men just fucking bury it, like, What a fucking basic-ass thing to do. Diana explains how something awoke the box with the Amazons, and basically, because of that, she knows the world's gonna come crashing down in a hurry. Diana asks where the other heroes are, and that's how part two ends. Part three is Beloved Mother, Beloved Son. In Central City, Barry Allen is late to an interview, and he's giving what I assume to be the hiring manager a long, rapid-fire excuse as to what held him up. If I were Barry Allen's prospective employer, I would just have to call bullshit, since it seems like that's kind of his thing to be late, and he would just make up excuses all the time, and that really can't fucking be tolerated, and you just know that if he's late to an interview, it could be a chronic problem, basically. Also, Barry Allen slash The Flash is supposed to be lighthearted, talkative, and funny, but I dare say Ezra Miller is too fucking much in this role, honestly. So we see the coming together of what is going to be an accident outside of where Barry is and this woman Barry saw on his way into the interview will be involved with it. So she T-bones a semi that runs a red light and hits a hot dog cart and Barry quickly comes out to save the day and this slow song starts playing that I don't really love. It's a pretty cool slow motion shot though where the stuff from the hot dog cart is floating in the air and you can see the electricity around from Barry. The way Barry's powers work is like, you're seeing it in slow motion, but I'm gathering that Barry is just able to move and think very quickly because if he can't think faster, then it all falls apart. Like, he'd almost be too much of a hazard to himself without quick thought. The baddies have gotten to the Atlanteans, and they want to know where the fuck their box is, but the head Atlantean puts up with torture and refuses to give up any information, but Steppenwolf uses some device to read the guy's mind or something, and it's only a matter of time before they get the box. So Lois is sitting alone in her apartment on the floor, looking super sad and holding Superman's cape, and that's just all we see. We we just get this little glimpse of Lois, and then it cuts right back. Then Bruce and Diana are at a computer talking about recruiting, and she explains that the trouble with Aquaman was basically to be expected, and she doesn't know if they can trust him anyway. Diana tells Bruce to go for Barry, and she will work on Cyborg. Notice I'll rarely call Cyborg Victor Stone because he's never not in his Cyborg outfit realistically except in flashbacks, but we see pre-Cyborg Victor on the football field playing pretty fucking well, presumably when he was in college. It's not clear if he is no longer in college because of what happened, but at the end of him scoring a touchdown, he removes his helmet, and I believe that's like 15 yards for unsportsmanlike conduct in the NCAA. Way to go, Vic. You fucking played yourself, man. On the way home from the game, Victor's mom, Eleanor, is giving him an excuse for Silas missing the game because of getting caught up at work. They get into a car accident, and at the hospital, they tell Silas that the mom died, and they also say Victor won't make it. I gotta say, Joe Morton's performance as Silas in this moment is pretty fucking good, and you can just tell that he's gonna turn his son into a part-robotic freak. So we skip forward to after he becomes Cyborg and he clearly blames Silas for his mother's death. Silas leaves Cyborg a tape recorder, which he plays, and I guess it's just going to tell him all about his abilities. So he goes out to test his thrusters, his strength, his computer capabilities, and it actually sounds like Cyborg would be a pretty fucking cool bad guy even. Like, he's also got a lot going for him as a good guy, but he's just so fucking moody. I mean, just this whole fucking movie, he's moody. So Silas's recording explains that his struggles will not be in using his powers, but rather in actively choosing not to use them when the time is right. So Victor goes ahead and changes some stranger's bank account balance from $11 in change to $100,000 in change. When Silas oversteps his boundaries in the recording, Cyborg destroys the tape recorder, but it seems like he could just Press stop and throw the tape away and keep a pretty fucking sweet tape recorder in this situation. No need to destroy an inanimate object just because you're pissed at your dad, dude. So a parademon swings by Cyborg's apartment and tries to get a load of what's inside, but Victor hides out of view... Back with Barry, he's visiting his dad in prison, and his dad was actually imprisoned wrongfully for the murder of Barry's mother. This wrongful imprisonment is what has driven Barry to pursuing a profession in criminal justice, but the dad wants him to give it all up and stop coming in to see him because it's a waste of his life as he sees it barry won't put up with this kind of talk but their time is up and barry comes home to find a mysterious bruce wayne waiting for him bruce shows him a shot of the convenience store robbery that barry stopped while on camera and of course he denies the whole thing bruce wants to know what barry's abilities are and barry keeps denying the whole thing he's just saying he's not that guy so bruce throws a batarang at him to get his attention and he explains that he's assembling a team and Barry is immediately in. No questions asked. He's just like, I'm I'm down. I'm, I'm doing it. Fuck yeah. So they take off in Bruce's super sweet Mercedes. And meanwhile, we get a pretty drawn out moment where Diana is making tea and Alfred doesn't want any, but he's insisting on the way that she needs to make it. And it's like, this movie is four fucking hours long, dude. Cut this part. Dude, we don't need to see this. So anywho, she gets on the computer and Cyborg takes it over and starts communicating with her by showing her the location where he wants to meet. Nothing really special about this spot where they actually meet, from what I can tell, Cyborg comes flying in and wants to know why Diana's looking for him. She explains that she needs him and his abilities, and I gotta say, Cyborg is pretty fucking cool, honestly. Anyway, Diana points out that Cyborg wouldn't have met with her if he wasn't interested in bettering himself. Cyborg goes to the graveyard and buries a box or equipment or something. I don't really know what this sequence was all about. I kind of missed it, I guess. Silas is in the lab and he talks with another scientist about the substance that's from the Kryptonian ship and it's incredibly hot. Back at home, Silas finds the destroyed tape recorder and there's a parademon there that presumably kidnaps him. Then we get Commissioner Gordon as played by J.K. Simmons and that casting call was okay, but I still maintain that Brian Cranston would be the perfect choice for that role. They talk about what are undoubtedly parademon attacks across the city that seem more like Batman if you don't know parademons exist. Underwater, we get our first glimpse of Mira, as played by Amber Heard. I mean, despite her not allegedly being a very good person, she is undeniably hot, I won't lie about that. So she's trying to get reinforcements, and suddenly Steppenwolf has shown up to get the second box from the Atlanteans. He takes Mira and holds her up against the wall and tells her she can't escape, and she says she's not trying to. And then she kind of, like, uses her powers to fuck his face up in a strange way that I really can't put into words. Aquaman shows up and fights with Steppenwolf, but Aquaman seems outmatched here, and the box is in the hands of the bad guys now. Why wouldn't Steppenwolf bring backup in this scenario? Like, none, like can the parademons not swim, I guess? Mira and Aquaman talk about his mother and how she's Queen of Atlantis and all that, and But Aquaman's perspective is that she left him on his father's doorstep, and he's never known her, so he doesn't really think very highly of her. Mira explains that it is now Aquaman's responsibility to fill in for his mother, but it's like, fucking watch Aquaman if you want to know this whole fucking story, because honestly, this doesn't really seem like it has any bearing on this plot at all. So Cyborg comes home to find his father missing after a break-in, And Steppenwolf links the two boxes he has, and it creates a dome over this abandoned city he hangs out in. He explains that they are close to the third box, and it's only a matter of time. Now on to part four, which is called Change Machine. We get a really cool shot of Batman arriving at police headquarters, and Wonder Woman and The Flash are there too. Gordon is talking about all of the parademon cases, and how all of these people that have been taken were scientists. Then Cyborg shows up and informs them that his father was taken too. Gordon has been trying to figure out a pattern by plotting out all the attacks on a map, but there doesn't really seem to be one at all. But naturally, our heroes determine that everything leads back to Stryker's Island, and the Parademons must be nesting in the tunnels below. Gordon goes to take a look at the island for a minute, and when he turns back, everyone else except for Flash is gone. Then we get one of many moments I refer to as the Ezra Miller Show, and he does his awkwardly, overly chatty bit for a fucking minute, and then he just bolts. All the heroes arrive in the tunnel beneath the island, and they immediately find an ID badge belonging to one of the kidnapped scientists. They go up the tunnel vent silo because Alfred says there's a cluster of beings up there. This incidental music is fucking cool. I don't care what anybody says. It's got a nice kick to it. It's pretty fucking solid. They approach and Steppenwolf is intimidating and interrogating hostages about where the other box is. Cyborg attacks when the interrogation turns to his dad. Wonder Woman starts fighting Steppenwolf and Batman is kind of getting his ass kicked by parademons and... Flash is just picking them off one by one. Batman does a solid bat rope swinging kick to take out a pair of demon, and then he asks Alfred to get him the Nightcrawler, which is basically a vehicle that has four legs instead of wheels, and it's actually kind of cool. They manage to save the last of the hostages and go back to fight the baddies. Batman starts firing on Steppenwolf, but I'm really not sure what his vulnerability or powers are at all. The Flash runs around helping Wonder Woman get her sword, but trips and injures his leg, which seems like it would happen a lot. Wonder Woman confronts Steppenwolf and does that super cool thing where she puts her wrists together and grunts really loud and creates an energy blast, and she knocked him way down the fucking tunnel, but didn't kill him, obviously. The Flash is fucking falling apart, and the Parademons scoop him up and Cyborg takes control of the Nightcrawler and unleashes a full assault of Steppenwolf, but it's seemingly not enough. The side of the tunnel breaks open, and the water starts flowing in, and we get Aquaman, finally. He shields the water to help our heroes make a getaway, and they get clear of the water, and Cyborg straight up just gets out and leaves without saying shit. I wonder if it would have been a better call to act like the heroes have earpieces in, like in The Avengers. That way they could talk to one another anyway steppenwolf goes back to the home base and gets himself supercharged and much more powerful i still don't love the design of the character in this version it's better like i said but it's not great cyborg comes back and reveals he has the third box desat is disappointed that steppenwolf hasn't gotten the last box yet but steppenwolf reveals that earth is the planet that has the anti-life equation Darkseid appears in a hologram and is very excited about the whole equation news. The heroes show up at their home base, and Cyborg wants to repair a ship there. He says he knows the other two boxes are awake, but he doesn't know where they are. Diana points out that Steppenwolf might be too powerful to stop, even if they can find him somehow. Aquaman accuses Cyborg of working for the enemy, and they want to know how he found the box, so he explains it. His father managed to get a hold of the mother box and harness its energy and unleashed an alien technology he didn't fully understand to save his son and turn him into Cyborg. Cyborg explains the power of the boxes and they use this metaphor of how a house can burn down and its particles become smoke. But the boxes themselves could actually take that smoke and turn it into a house, and that's, like, what their big power is. They collectively realize that they could bring back Superman if they tried to with the box. Martha comes to visit Lois, and we get a much better visit than the one in the theatrical cut. It's not so fucking blindingly bright. Martha explains losing her farm and that she talked to Perry White and found out that Lois hasn't been to work since Superman died. It's a much better written scene as they kind of talk through their grief and it's it's much nicer. But it really is too bad that every time I hear the name Martha, I want to laugh hysterically because of that whole thing with Batman v Superman. We see Martha leave and she turns into none other than the shapeshifter Martian Manhunter. This is a good guy, by the way. And then she turns into that general from the previous Superman movies. The heroes are all discussing bringing Superman back, and Bruce straight up says that they're nothing without him. Which is wildly untrue, Bruce. That's not reasonable to say at all. There are episodes of the animated shows Justice League and Justice League Unlimited that don't have Superman in them at all, and major threats come to Earth or wherever. I specifically recall one where Superman gets taken over by a creature and he serves as an actual enemy to the Justice League. So there's that. Also, why is Martian Manhunter hanging out on the sidelines for this? He's like a flying, shape-shifting badass. Like, they could really fucking use him in the battle against Steppenwolf. Part 5 is called All the King's Horses. Cyborg and Flash are digging up Superman's grave, and it's decidedly different in this version It's better despite the scene not really needing to exist at all. Aquaman and Wonder Woman discuss their people and their similarities and differences, Alfred is struggling to get the ship online, and then he has a heart-to-heart with Bruce about this dangerous game he's playing with the box and bringing Superman back. He just doesn't think that it's such a great idea because... Bruce has come so far with getting the team together. They load the coffin into a van and Silas is getting released from quarantine after his exposure to aliens. Batman is outside looking down on the city from his perch and it's a very Batman moment. Barry sneaks into this military facility and I'm not 100% on what the fuck he's doing. Like what why is he having to have this like false identity and all of this stuff to get in there? At the lab, they've got a biohazard emergency, so they're calling for evacuation. Like, I'm assuming the heroes are breaking into the lab to do what they're doing to bring Superman back to life, but it seems like everyone other than Barry just waltz right in with no fucking problem whatsoever. Silas sees a door open and the Justice League enters, and it's not clear if Silas knows what they're really up to, but he's enabling them heavily. Oh, they're in the Kryptonian ship because it's where the labs are. I'm dumb, I had not put that together. So maybe Barry is having to do the false identity thing because he's gotta sneak the vehicle in with Superman's corpse in it, I guess, but how the fuck did the superheroes get in there without doing that too? Lois is out and about on the town chatting with her policeman friend. Flash reveals that by traveling fast enough with adequate distance traveled, he can create enough electricity to awaken the box. So they're going to do it, and there's a lot more buildup and concern expressed over not doing it because of the ramifications that it may have. The computer is pretty much straight up saying, ''Bro, please don't do this thing. You gotta think of the kids, man.'' And Batman's just, like, all in on saying, ''Fuck you, we're doing this shit.'' I mean, just before The Flash goes in to do his thing... We get this apocalypse scenario dream sequence where Darkseid is taking over everything and people are dying everywhere, including Justice League members, present and future. This is all a fucking bit much, honestly, like it's kind of crazy. So Flash has to electrify the box as it hits the water, and I'm trying to remember how long into the theatrical cut it was before we actually got Superman living again, but don't worry, I googled it. There were no answers on Google at all that I could find, but I looked at the theatrical cut on digital, and he comes back at about 72 to 73 minutes, but we'll just say 73 minutes. And in the Snyder cut, he comes back at about 159 minutes. So by doing some math based on the percentage of runtime, it took 73 minutes divided by 120 minutes total, which is 60% of the theatrical cuts runtime. The Snyder Cut took 159 minutes, divided by 242 minutes, which is roughly 66% for him to be brought back. I'm so proud of me for figuring all that out, guys, and I know no one really gives a shit, but I just had to know. So anywho, the water sprays through the ceiling like a geyser, and Old Blue Eyes himself is out flying above the buildings. He arrives at his memorial statue location, then so does the Justice League, sans Batman, who I guess is just deciding to get in some cardio in this moment superman's kind of getting a sensory overload on his powers and kind of perceives the heroes as a threat cyborg's defense system which he can't control is kicking in and he shoots a blaster at a shirtless superman which it's like you've got to uncheck that box right at install dude that's a rookie move the antivirus software companies pay big money hoping you'll make that mistake So Superman strikes back with heat vision, and Cyborg shields the blast. Then Superman starts straight up duking it out with every hero that's there. Wonder Woman pulls out her lasso and wraps it around Superman, and she tries to convince him to remember who he is. And I gotta say, her smugness is always through the fucking roof with this lasso. Her demeanor changes, and she's all like, Ha, I bet you were hoping you could lie to me, weren't you, bitch? Superman doesn't respond positively to this manipulation, and honestly, I can't remember if the lasso does anything other than compelling someone to be truthful. Like, can it coerce them into being obedient normally? I don't know. Superman has to stop three heroes at once until Flash tries to sneak up, and then him and Superman kind of fight for a time. Then the army starts firing on poor Superman, who is just having some serious PTSD issues. Batman finally shows up and helps a shell-shocked soldier and tells him to go anywhere but there, basically. Superman spots Batman and charges toward him. Also, a little Superman face update. It doesn't look stupid in this one. But Superman is gunning for Batman and no one can stop him. I mean, he straight up headbutts Wonder Woman and takes her right down. Then, he's going all in on heat vision against Batman, and I still need someone to explain his aggression, like... They didn't part ways still hating each other. When Superman died, they had already become friends and were working together. Then Lois shows up, and finally Superman snaps back to something marginally closer to normal. I just hope him and Lois go out into a field, and she tells him he smells good. That's what we're all really here for, right? The two of them take off, and the team is broken and battered, but almost immediately one of Steppenwolf's sky beams appears, and he's there for the box. Steppenwolf's entire body, just for a visual, looks like it's made out of one of those expanding, spring-loaded metal watch bands. You know what I'm talking about? They, like, flex and stretch out? I don't know, I, I that's what it looks like to me. Silas is scrambling to get the box to safety in the lab, and he goes into an all-glass room, which is an interesting choice. He decides to activate the box and effectively kill himself in the process, and Steppenwolf ends up with the box anyway. Aquaman is all pissy because he said that they shouldn't have awoken the box at all, but they figure out Silas actually heated the box on purpose to mark it so that they could find it with thermal imaging. Son of a bitch, Silas. Well done. Part 6, Something Darker Hey, would you look at that? Lois and Clark are in a field together talking about how he smells because that's just good writing. What else could they want to talk about in this moment? They're just so in love, guys. It's so fucking sweet. Also, there's apparently an understandable rule about not getting Henry Cavill a shirt before you can bask in his shirtless glory. Lois tells him about his mom and losing the farm. Then the league gets back to headquarters and regroups. They figure out where Steppenwolf is, and they say he harvested the high radioactivity in the abandoned town, so it's not dangerous there which is pretty fucking convenient. Victor is also going to willingly potentially sacrifice himself as a part of the plan of this mission. They decide they have to go for it because it's their only chance before the world gets fucked up. Back with Clark and Lois, he acknowledges that Lois was on board for the engagement he never got to propose in Batman v Superman because she's wearing the ring. Then Martha shows up and sees Clark for the first time alive again, And he explains that they wanted him back for a reason, and he has to go find out why, so he's going to take off. The team is just hanging out at HQ still, and Bruce talks about that one moment in BVS where the Flash came to tell him that Lois Lane is the key, but he believes it's more than just her connection with Superman. Alfred says there's something Master Bruce has got to see, and it's the ship, and Cyborg fixed it. We see all of the Atlanteans, Amazons, and Alfred reacting to what appears to be whatever Steppenwolf is doing with these boxes. They're kind of going through and explaining all of what their plan is to stop the baddies. I don't really like saying baddies or bad guys, but I also don't like saying Steppenwolf or Parademon every five seconds. Clark walks through what I guess is the Fortress of Solitude, And recordings of his two fathers are saying words of encouragement, and he's got the fucking black suit on, and I'm so fucking amped by this moment, I legitimately can't take it. Okay, calming down. All right, so the heroes are gearing up for the big showdown, and oh my god, there is less than an hour to go in this four-hour film at this point. I'm gonna say this right now, I don't like the look of Batman's goggles in these movies. Yeah, I really took a turn from the last one where I said they weren't bad, they were okay. Okay. I don't like them, they're like, they like V upward, like they're, they they are angle too much. I don't really understand why they have to be like that. Batman crashed the ship already, and it seems as though that's not ideal. And oh, now they've got earpieces, imagine that. Batman's gonna distract the parademons now, because that's a good use of his abilities, I guess. I mean, it probably actually is. He's in the Batmobile, and he's getting attacked and shot at, and all sorts of stuff. And I do love the intense amount of Batman in this sequence, obviously. The team comes together for a nice little photo op before dispersing. I don't remember from my first viewing, but I'm willing to bet that there's like a half an hour of runtime after Steppenwolf goes down in this movie. God, this action is fucking intense, and I gotta say something unexpected right here. Batman is a fucking badass. I love him. So Superman comes to see Alfred first before going to the main event because I guess he has to be told where to go? That's the only sense that I can make of this moment, that he, like, comes and sees Alfred and, like, introduces himself. Back with Steppenwolf, the gang unleashed an attack that manages to push him, like, 20 feet and bounce right back. Then he talks some shit to Wonder Woman about abandoning her sisters, and she lets it get to her, and I mean, like, you've gotta have thicker skin than that, Wonder Woman. Batman and Flash get into position for their part of this plan, and Steppenwolf manages to get the upper hand on Cyborg, so... Nobody can do their thing, really. Steppenwolf's talking more shit to Wonder Woman, and she's really letting it get to her. It looks like Cyborg is fucked, and he's gonna get hacked down by Steppenwolf, but wouldn't you know it? Superman shows up and stops his battle axe in place. And let's just say Superman starts fucking Steppenwolf shit up something fierce right here. Like, now that Superman is here, it seems like this might have been a better solo villain for him. But if it's not Lex or Zod, they just don't want to fucking do it, I guess. Superman is laying down these fucking sonic boom shockwave punches, but a portal opens and it's fucking dark side. So Flash gets held up with an injury from the parademons, I think, and can't create the charge again. So basically, the Justice League is failing and. It dawns on Flash that he has to break his rule and run faster than the speed of light to go back in time and undo everything. Everything starts going into slow-mo and moving in reverse as Flash runs, and then he gets to Cyborg at seemingly just the right time. But first, Cyborg has to have a dream sequence where he gets his old life back, which is pretty fucking heartbreaking until he reaffirms that he's not broken and he's not alone in present day. So the whole thing with the dealie works, and they beat the last of the snot out of Steppenwolf, and they throw him into the Darkseid portal, and it closes. Darkseid tells his right-hand man, Desad that they will stop at nothing to get the anti-life equation, and then our heroes leave on the ship together. On the epilogue, Cyborg reassembles the tape recorder with his mind so he can listen to the last of what his dad said to him, And it's very emotional, guys. It's very nice. Aquaman goes to see his father, and the Atlanteans still seem perplexed by him. Silas's partner at the lab takes over Silas's old job. Alfred, Bruce, and Diana go to look at an old house to presumably make it into the Hall of Justice. Barry sees his dad and shows him that he got a real job as a foot in the door at a crime lab, and his dad is so fucking proud of him. Bruce and Clark have their chat about Bruce getting the Kent farm back from the bank and simply buying the bank. And all of these scenes have been complimented nicely by Silas's kind words to Victor from the tape recorder. Batman is on a fucking tank of some sort, and we don't really get an explanation of that. And Diana is back at that temple that was burning in the beginning. And then the Flash is running. Imagine that. Then Superman turns and opens his shirt to reveal his silver-on-black chest emblem that will always kick ass. Then we're at the prison, and Lex Luthor is unresponsive, and the guard turns him around, and it's totally not Lex at all. It's an imposter. So the guard sounds the alarm, and we're going out to a yacht, and Slade Wilson, aka Deathstroke, comes to talk to Lex. Lex tells Wilson, who desperately wants to kill Batman, that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Then, we're on what I assume to be a bad guy planet, and oh my god, I completely fucking forgot this from the last time I watched this movie. I mean, I knew it happened, but I wasn't even really thinking about the fact that it was coming, you know? It was just that fucking surprising. So, Batman appears in his desert coat and goggles with Cyborg, Flash, Deathstroke, and Mira. Mira's going on about getting back at someone for what they did to Arthur, Batman says he knows how she feels, but Mira acts like she's the only one who's ever lost someone that they loved and kind of brushes him off and acts like he couldn't possibly know what she's going through. He tells her that they have to stick to the plan and they can't let their emotions get the better of them. Then we hear an unpleasant laugh that can only belong to one character as portrayed by one actor. We see Jared Leto's Joker and his hair's all long, and his makeup honestly looks like it was applied by a drunk toddler with Parkinson's. Batman tells Joker to be careful what he says about his parents, and it's clear Joker knows who he is, really. Joker is really getting to Batman, and I don't like that. Not one bit. He then references killing Jason Todd, and Batman brings up watching Harley die, and I feel like You just know the Joker's not going to give as much of a shit about that. Joker also says something about Batman killing Lois, but this is not comic book accurate portrayals of these characters. I mean, the things that are happening might be true to the comic books, but the way these characters are behaving is not like normal. Like Batman doesn't enter into arguments and mudslinging endeavors with the Joker. Like that doesn't fucking happen. So Superman shows up, and it's clear that they're going to fight each other, and then Bruce fucking wakes up, and I mean, you knew it had to be a dream, but it's like, God fucking damn it. Bruce is visited by one Martian Manhunter outside his house who warns him about finding the Anti-Life Equation before Darkseid. He asks him who he is, and he explains that he's had many names and taken many forms, and that he is there to help. And I just can't help but wonder if he realizes that they just had a fight with someone who almost beat them. Like, literally almost beat them. He tells Bruce his parents would be proud of him for assembling the heroes, and that some call him Martian Manhunter. This movie was dedicated to Zack Snyder's daughter, Autumn, who I mentioned took her own life sometime during post-production of the original cut of the Justice League. And I know I keep it lighthearted and joke around a lot, but... Please seek help if you have thoughts of harming yourself or others. We've lost a lot of amazing human beings to suicide because they felt that it was the only way to cope with a life that didn't seem like it would ever get better. I've had a very long history of suicidal depression, and although I haven't found my answers yet, I'm still pressing on in hopes that one day it will come together and I can find my peace. Roll credits. So the biggest differences between the two cuts, I'm not going to go through the praises and criticisms that I normally do, but the biggest differences between these two cuts are the story overall just gave us everything we could possibly ask for in the Snyder cut. And we got such an abridged version of that story with the two hour movie that it didn't even make any sense and it didn't feel cohesive at all. The characters have a ton of development in the Snyder Cut, which is what happens when you don't restrict the size of your palette or canvas too much. I'm talking to you, movie studios. The final showdown in the Snyder Cut is very satisfying, if I do say so myself. There is virtually nothing I liked better in the theatrical cut, and there were even things I liked better in the Snyder Cut that were essentially the same in every way as they were in the theatrical cut. Alright, so we got trivia. So I'm going to start with theatrical, and then there's like a little mix of both, and then there's the Snyder cut. So for the theatrical cut, when the film was shown in Iceland, which uses subtitles rather than dubs for films with non-Icelandic languages, Jason Momoa's pronunciation of his single line of Icelandic was deemed so unintelligible that it had to be subtitled into Icelandic, often resulting in a very big laugh from the audience. Director Zack Snyder and his wife, producer Deborah Snyder, stepped down from finishing the film after the suicide of their daughter in March of 2017. They tried to remain involved in the film as a way to work through the difficulty, but after two months, they decided to step away from the project to spend time with their family. Joss Whedon, who had signed on for the now-canceled Batgirl, took over as director, managing additional scenes that needed to be included in the final cut. Warner Brothers has stated that Joss would write and direct in the same style as Zack, so there wouldn't be any tonal shifts or obvious changes in style. However, Whedon controversially fired Snyder's composer Junkie XL and replaced him with Danny Elfman, who previously composed Whedon's Avengers Age of Ultron from 2015, and that was obviously just the fucking tip of the iceberg on the changes he made. Extensive reshoots in London and Los Angeles in mid-2017 added a cost of approximately $25 million to the film's budget. Henry Cavill worked on the reshoots and Mission Impossible Fallout at the same time. He was contractually obligated to sport a mustache for his role in the latter project, so Paramount refused to let the actors shave it off to play Superman in the reshoots. This meant that Cavill's facial hair had to be digitally removed in post-production, However, due to a tight schedule, the results were crude and were among the many criticisms of the theatrical version of the film. Barry Allen says in the movie that he knows sign language, specifically gorilla sign language. One of The Flash's most famous enemies is Grodd, an intelligent telepathic gorilla. Zack Snyder and Ray Fisher both stated that Cyborg was going to be the heart of this film. However, when Joss Whedon was hired for reshoots, most of Cyborg's scenes were cut and Superman became the center of the story. Gal Gadot wore at least 14 versions of the Wonder Woman costume in the film. Each costume was made to suit the needs of the specific scene and performance. In the earlier drafts of the script, Victor Stone was supposed to have suffered his severe injuries as a result of Doomsday's rampage through Metropolis in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Mark McClure, who played Officer Ben Sadowski previously played Jimmy Olsen in Superman, Superman 2, Superman 3, Supergirl, and Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. Danny Elfman took over from Junkie XL, who originally replaced Hans Zimmer. Zimmer had announced his retirement from the superhero business and left to work on Tomb Raider from 2018. There are several instances in this film where Elfman references his own Batman theme from the original Burton films with Michael Keaton, an example being when Batman responds to the Bat-signal. Gal Gadot's work on the film began the day after she wrapped production on Wonder Woman from 2017. This movie was initially going to be split into two parts with an alleged singular continuing storyline— But by the time filming was underway, the idea of the film being in two parts seemed to have quietly gone away. Zack Snyder has never seen the theatrical version of this film. According to Deborah Snyder and Christopher Nolan, they advised him not to as it would break his heart. Okay, so this is for both of the cuts. So due to the running time backlash of past DC movies... Warner Brothers demanded a film under two hours without credits. While the final running time for the theatrical cut was only 119 minutes, the director's cut stands at a whopping 242 minutes. Okay, so moving on to the Snyder Cut. According to Zack Snyder, this version contains no shots filmed by Joss Whedon from the theatrical version of Justice League. Confirmed in an interview by Deborah Snyder and Zack Snyder, The Snyder Cut has only about five minutes of total new-shot-added scenes with actors, but there are over 2,000 new visual effects shots in the four-hour-long film. Soon after the theatrical release, in which many fans and critics alike found the film an inaccurate representation of Zack Snyder's vision, the hashtag ReleaseTheSnyderCut began to grow in popularity through social media in hopes of promoting a possible director's cut release. Over the years since its inception, the Release the Snyder Cut movement has helped gain traction all the way to Warner Brothers executives, and even through raising money for numerous charities associated with suicide prevention and awareness. In May of 2020, after a virtual Man of Steel watch party, Snyder officially announced the project with Henry Cavill. This film dethroned The Dark Knight Rises from 2012 to be the longest DC film ever made. The Dark Knight Rises ran for 165 minutes, which works out to about 2 hours 45 minutes. Furthermore, it dethroned Avengers Endgame, which is 181 minutes, and became the longest comic book film ever made. This is the first modern superhero film to be released in the 4-3 TV aspect ratio, close to the Academy aspect ratio format used up until the 1960s. Although Jesse Eisenberg appears in the end of the film, he has less than two minutes of performance in the entire four-hour movie. Okay, so a little bit of IMDB nuggets, just these ridiculous ones that I find. So this is for both of the cuts of the film. As an April Fool's Day joke, production said Zack Snyder had left the project and that George Miller would take up the directing duties. The feedback was quite positive. However, when Joss Whedon replaced Snyder due to the death of Snyder's daughter, feedback was sincerely sympathetic. However, at the end, enough people complained about Joss Whedon's changes that Zack Snyder's version was released and had a far better reception than Whedon's, which Snyder never saw despite quote-unquote directing it, and which writer Chris Terrio wished he could remove his name from it. Okay, so for the theatrical... In one scene, Alfred says to Bruce, one misses the days when one's biggest concerns were exploding wind-up penguins. This is a reference to Batman Returns from 1992, where Batman goes up against the penguin, who had an army of penguins wearing exploding rockets with a plot to destroy Gotham City, as well as a tongue-in-cheek nod to the opening of Superman 3, where a street accident causes a stray toy penguin to catch fire after touching a roadside flare. This one's theatrical. Bruce Wayne is said to have been operating as Batman for 20 years when this movie takes place. It matches the 20th anniversary of Batman and Robin. Yeah, I'm sure that was what they were going for. And then the last one is theatrical as well. So this theatrical film premiered on the same day, November 17th, as the Justice League animated series premiered on Cartoon Network in 2001, 16 years earlier. The cartoon was received far better than the Joss Whedon version of the film, which was received worse than the Snyder cut. Like, that's that has nothing to do with the... the, I mean, like, if you want to point out that it was the same day that the animated show came out, that's great. But, like, you don't need to fucking throw your little tidbits in there about how... Yeah, but by the way, this one, this movie was also pretty fucking terrible. Okay, so on to info and ratings and a little disclaimer. Some of the numbers I'm about to read regarding the budget only apply to the theatrical cut of the film as there was no information available due to the Snyder Cut's release on the streaming service HBO Max. So the runtime, theatrical 119 minutes, Snyder Cut 242 minutes rated PG-13 for the theatrical cut and rated R for the Snyder cut by the Motion Picture Association of America budget 300 million and it was actually 70 million on top of that to do the shoots and the development of the Snyder cut opening weekend 93.8 million worldwide gross 658 million IMDb rating 6.1 for the theatrical cut for the Snyder Cut. Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 39% for the Theatrical, 71% for Snyder. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 68% for the Theatrical, 94% for the Snyder Cut. Personal Rating of the Theatrical, 2 out of 5 stars. It was just a fucking mess, and it just didn't have the right... It didn't know what it was doing tonally at all. And Personal Rating of the Snyder Cut, I will say 4.5, because... There were a bunch of those scenes that they clearly were just, like, throwing everything in there that they could, that they could get to stick, and it was like, yeah, cut that fucking scene out of there. Like, we don't need to see Alfred coaching Diana through making tea. Like, get the fuck out of here. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed my episode today. It didn't actually take me as long to do this as I expected, but it was uh, a lot of fun for me. I, I enjoyed it. I probably won't revisit these movies for a long time now, but I just, I really wanted to get this out there. I I was trying to cover a lot of DCEU movies and I knew this had to be involved somehow. So I don't know that I'll get to all of the other DCEU movies because it's not that I don't like them necessarily. I mean, some of them, that is definitely the case, but I don't want to cover all of that. It just seems like it's going to be like, people are going to get tired of hearing about DC movies and this and that. So I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews is written, recorded, produced, edited, and engineered by Brandon Griffiths. The theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz and was acquired by way of Fiverr.com.